everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth, and this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. I'm praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers and welcome to another glorious day. Today we are just going to finish wrapping up um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 which is the the themes that we're we're kind of exploring are just so so massive and so important so fundamental to the Christian faith and hope so let's pray and ask the Lord to help us so Holy Spirit we love you we need you we ask you to help us now to understand this word and it would live in our hearts it would transform us it would become something that grips us day by day by day in Jesus name amen good morning Kathy and Fran great to see you and if you're listening on the radio, happy days. I'm glad you're enjoying Prayer House Radio. So here we go. So we are going to pick up from um, in chapter 15 from uh, verse 24. <clears throat> so remember we said that Jesus was the first fruits, the first one to be resurrected. Now this is entirely different from being resuscitated. Buenos dias, Flor. So when we bring someone who's be, who's stopped breathing back to life, that is called resuscitation. Or when they've their heart is stopped and the paramedics get their heart started again, that is incredible. It is miraculous, but it is resuscitation and it is a natural phenomena. And um, even when someone has drowned and, you know, they kind of it's like they've gone into the mammalian diving reflex and their body is shut down and it seems as if they're dead. 20 minutes later, they're alive again. That is incredible. But it is resuscitation, not. What's the word? (laughs) Resurrection. (laughs) Got it. Right. So let's let's read on then. So he says, verse 24. So so let's just read uh, 23. For in Adam, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. (coughs) Excuse me. But each in his own turn, sorry, each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, all those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God. Sorry, let me... Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies... I keep losing my place. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 
the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. I'm going to explain all of this, hopefully. So when when things when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. Now, this is incredible. Now, Paul's told us that um, in, in Romans chapter 8 that the world has been subjected to corruption and decay. It's like it's groaning. The whole universe, the cosmos is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, waiting for this resurrection day which will come when not only are the sons of God and daughters of God alive and well on the earth, but they're renewed and restored and fully in their resurrected state as Jesus himself is. And so there is this kind of ultimate longing and ultimate crying out from the cosmos for this day. Um, But Paul's saying here that this is, there is a process that's going on and it was, it began at the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is the first fruits of this harvest process that is still taking place now. And Paul tells us here that it is a process of bringing everything into subjection under Jesus. So the, the terminology is bringing everything under his feet. So it's like a, a victorious general who wins a battle might put his foot on the neck of the con- the king that he's conquered or the emperor that he's overcome. And it's like this symbol of subjugation and power and victory. And so Paul's saying there is a process going on which began and will not stop until everything is under the feet of Jesus. So Jesus, the first fruits, is the kind of down payment of that. And the fact that he is in his resurrected body, in his resurrected form now, in glory with the Father, is a kind of sign. And then, of course, he pours the Holy Spirit out, which is also a sign that he's made it, that he's mission accomplished, if you like, because he said, I'm going to return, I'm going to go to the Father, and then I'm going to send a comforter. So we have the comforter here. So we know Jesus made it. And this isn't just a sort of elaborate hoax. So Pentecost tells us that Jesus made it. And then this process now of bringing things into subjection under his feet is underway. Now, you and I come into that because as the spirit is poured out upon us and the power of God begins to be manifest and shown and delivered on the earth through you and I, there is an outworking of this bringing things under Jesus's feet as you and I engage in the spiritual warfare of turning hearts to Jesus and bringing lives, bringing our own lives under his control and making disciples of every creature and so on and so on. So he says that this process is going to go on and in in Hebrews chapter 2 it says that we don't yet see all things subject to him. We don't yet see that everything fully in subjection to him. And so yet the victory is won. The battle is 
the outcome of the battle is determined. You know, the battle's been won, if you like. And so it's just really a working out of that now in real time, in the human environment, the earthly environment, where Jesus's kingdom is established more and more and more. Good morning, Phil. Um, so uh, there is this process going on which has begun with the resurrection of Jesus. And I think this is really important. There's an order, and this will surely happen. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is our enemy. Death is the consequence of um, rebellion and sin against God. And so what's going on now is the wrapping up of all of the consequences of man's rebellion, which not only did Adam initiate, but the rest of us have continued on in until we turn to Jesus and surrender our hearts. And so this is the but the the consequence of all of that of that single act of rebellion, if you like, is that death was introduced into the world and into the cosmos, and therefore there's this process now where Jesus' resurrection begins the process of wrapping this whole thing up. Good morning, John and Joan. So he says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put everything in subjection under his feet. But when it says, so we said that, didn't we, that, that, that he, when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. So the one that is not going to be in subjection to Jesus and the one that is not going to be under Jesus's feet is God the Father because he's the one who gave this to Jesus, this thing to do. And so, so, and this is a really interesting thing in verse 28. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection to him. So, so it's like the father has given this responsibility and this mission to the son. And when the son is completed in that mission and everything is under Jesus's feet, then Jesus will yield himself again to the father. And this isn't anything new. This is exactly how Jesus lived when he was on the earth. He would say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He'd say, God, let this cup pass from me. But if there's no other way to do it, then it's your way, not my way. I surrender my will, my my will as a son. I put myself under your um, headship. And we said, didn't we, that the head of Christ is God and yet, they are equal in this is just a, a thing that people who don't understand God get complicated about because they say, well, how can Jesus be under the headship of God, the father and still be equal? Well, <laughs> just, just the way it is. He, Jesus said, I and my father are one. We're completely in agreement. And the agreement is that he's the head in this relationship. And I think we've said a few times now that one of the themes that comes out a lot in this um, book of 1 Corinthians in particular is this idea of surrendering our will to God's will and putting ourselves voluntarily under his lordship and surrender to him. And in doing that, we submit to one another and so on and so on. And we we let go of what might be considered to be our rights for his, for his sake. <clears throat> Verse 29, he says, Otherwise, 
so we've got this sense of every of everything being under Jesus's feet and the end of death and everything else and he says otherwise what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead if the dead are not raised at all so Paul's going back to this theme of some people say the dead are not raised there is no resurrection and he's saying well why do people get baptized for dead people then and Paul's certainly not saying this is a good idea or let's all do this he's just saying this happens I wonder why, if there's no such thing as a resurrection from the dead, it actually is nonsense to get baptised for a dead person. And although some people uh, do espouse that way of carrying on, it's certainly not part of the Christian message. And so we can ditch that one. Um, and he says, if the dead are not raised, why are people baptised on their behalf? Verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? So looking at me, Paul's saying, looking at my life, why do I put myself through what I do? If there's no resurrection, you know, he's already been he's already done this little um, discussion, but he's doing another lap of honour with it, really. And he says, uh, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, that which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die every day. Literally, my life is in jeopardy every single day and I'm dying to what I want, what my preferences would be every single day because of my faith in the resurrection verse 32 what do i gain if humanly speaking i fought with beasts at ephesus um if the dead are not raised let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die do not be deceived bad company ruins good morals wake up from your drunken stupor as as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of god i say this to your shame so now, we have no uh, record of Paul fighting wild beasts at Ephesus, but I think the people who were constantly attacking him and haranguing him at Ephesus were probably like wild beasts, whether he actually stood in the um, the arena and faced actual lions, I don't know, but they were sort of pe the people who were mistreating him were as deadly as wild animals, weren't they? But he says, what was all that for if there's no resurrection? Come on. And then he says, listen, don't, the other thinking which is out there, this Epicurean idea, the Greek thinking of it's just the flesh is irrelevant, it's just the spirit that matters and we should just ignore our bodies and we can eat and drink and tomorrow we die. Paul's saying that is a morally bankrupt standpoint you need to get off that you need to come out of that pagan wrong thinking that greek wrong thinking um that it doesn't matter this body is precious he's already said that he said this body is a temple of the holy spirit when well, now he's saying come on this body has a relevance for eternity because god's going to resurrect it and make it like the body of Jesus. And we're going to come on to that and see what that looks like in just a second. But then he's saying, listen, there are people out there who don't know anything about God. Whilst you're getting hammered and drinking the night away and eating and filling your big bellies with food, so there's people out there who have no clue about Jesus and no clue about God. And I think that is a salutary warning for you and I that actually we need to remember that there are people out living right among us who don't know anything about God and it's beholden on us to kind of get that message into their lives by one way or another by certainly demonstrating it 
and by being willing to talk about the hope we have. And we'll come on to that right now, what the hope looks like. So verse 35 says, but some someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And I think what Paul is, why Paul is annoyed, because he's the, the Greek language there is you fool. It's like quite a strong rebuke. There's, I think Paul has had some very trivial questions on this subject and it's got him a bit annoyed, to be honest. And he says, you, you wally, you, <laughs> you fool, you don't understand that what you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not like the body that it is, that is to be. So everyone, everyone who's done any gardening at all, even the most simple, like planting cress on blotting paper or tissue paper, kitchen towel now, um, will know that the seed you plant doesn't look anything like the thing you get as a result of planting the seed. But actually, once you've planted it and it's germinated, the seed is useless, isn't it? You get... Um, some on some plants you get the seed sort of halfway up the the shoot you know like stuck onto it and it just falls off and drops away and that is the husk of the seed that seed now lo no longer has any identity it's just a husk and what we're concerned about now is the thing that has grown from it which is what we really really wanted we didn't want the seed although there is food value in eating seeds they tell us and so it's good to eat seeds especially if you're a parrot it's very good for you um but he says like um what you plant is very different to what you get from planting it <laughs> this is really important so the seed that we plant dies disappears goes into something else so he says that what you sow is not like the body that is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps, of wheat or some other grain. If you plant an acorn, it does not look anything like an oak tree. But the thing you get is glorious and wonderful, isn't it? And it's just truly incredible. It's a miracle. Well, it's kind of a natural miracle. Anyway. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and each kind of seed has its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies, by that he means planets and stars and things in the solar system and so on, and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. And so Paul is saying, listen, the things that we see, the, the, they, they have, they're all different. They have a different body. And Paul's trying to make a simple point, but he's getting a bit poetic. The simple point is that what dies, the, the thing that is resurrected comes from what has died, but it looks nothing like it. it is so much more glorious. And we'll come on to that. So he says, verse 42, so it is with the resurrection from the dead. What is sown is perishable. So when we put our body in the ground, it has died. When someone puts our body in, we don't put ourselves in, do we? Someone else does it for us. Or we they put us into the furnace where we're, where we're cremated. And that we do that because the body has no longer got a purpose. It's earthly purpose is finished 
But Paul's saying from that, even from that death and that perishing, that perishment <laughs> um, of, of our body comes something which is imperishable. So he says, so it is with resurrection from the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Or the man, yes, of the man of heaven. So what Paul's saying here is, listen, this body, it is sown perishable. So those of us who are getting old, which is all of us, know that our bodies are aging and they are perishing slowly. And that's a sad thing to see, isn't it? When we've enjoy good health and we see our body just kind of becoming weaker and less robust than it was and our brain perhaps not as quick as it used to be and all those things and we think oh I used to be able to do this or I used to be able to run a hundred meters in whatever and we think I couldn't do that anymore and it's because our body is perishing so he says it's sown in dishonor it's raised in glory it's sown in weakness it's raised in power. This is a transformation Paul's talking about. This is not resuscitation. Let me just say again, when someone is resuscitated, it usually means they've died because of something catastrophic that's happened to their system that shut them down. When they're resuscitated, they're usually still in a medically critical condition. They are not in any form of glory right now. They need tubes and interventions and all kinds of things and supervision and help to get them back to a kind of health and strength. And so, you know, with the, with a few exceptions, obviously, but generally speaking, when someone is resuscitated, they are not in a glorious state. They're in a medically very vulnerable, critical state. And Paul's saying, listen, this is something entirely different. It's really important that we understand that. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, he was resuscitated. Although he'd been dead for three days, it wasn't it wasn't a resurrection in the true sense. When um, Elijah and Elisha raised people from the dead, they were they were they brought back to life. They weren't resurrected, which is a difference. So Paul's saying, listen, this new body, it's going to be raised in glory. Think about the grain of wheat. It's just a husky little thing. It's hard. It's There's a lot of nutritional value in it. But he's saying when you plant it, it grows up and it, it's a strong plant with all these, this ear full of wheat, you know, and it's 
much more glorious than the thing you planted. So he says, we we have up until now, we've had the likeness of Adam, the father from the earth. And now we're going to have the likeness of the man from heaven because we're born of Jesus and the resurrection that we come into is the resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to take on his likeness. Wow. 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 Wowzers. So he says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Incredible, isn't it? Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So it, we're, it's going to be different. We're not going to go in there with flesh and blood in a normal sense This into this new eternal kingdom we're going to go into it having been made new he says verse 51 behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed i think people have said well paul got it wrong because everyone he was writing to at the time did die and so he said when when he says we shall not all sleep paul got it wrong i think the point is that we as in god's family throughout time there will be some who ultimately are alive when Jesus returns and they won't actually die they won't fall asleep but they'll but we will all be changed 52 in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then it shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Wow. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And isn't that so glorious? Because death always seems to have the last laugh. There's a very interesting book that's called, um, oh, I've forgotten now but it's narrated by death and it's written in the time of the blitz in germany um and death narrates it and basically he it, death is neutral but comes after everybody different times and uh different circumstances and of course death really did walk the streets very noticeably in those days but um so death kind of has always had it seems the last laugh but not for the believer because the believer when we die we're going into the ground like the seed and our expectation is that we have a a uh, spiritual resurrected body waiting for us when we meet Jesus and I don't know how that works whether we all go into like a holding pattern until his return and then we're all alive resurrected renewed or whether Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, whether it's literally as we die, we boom, step into eternity. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, don't know because it's not because time and eternity are two different things, aren't they? So um, but then we have this question about when the last trumpet is, which trumpet is that that you will find as many different theories out there as you want to find. Some people believe it's right at the end when the the tribulation has happened and all the perils have come on the earth and it's been great suffering and trials on the earth 
for a period of time and at that last trumpet then that's when we're all raised others want to say well no you know there's a trumpet that happens before that and we all get hoiked out before the trouble really gets going hmm <laughs> yes right so for this perishable body must put on the imperishable verse 53 and this mortal body must put on immortality so paul's saying it's going to be we're going to be transformed this body is no longer going to be mortal it's going to become immortal which is incredible isn't it when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting and finally the victory has come to us all that Jesus paid so dearly for on the cross by surrendering surrendering his own life. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain and so Paul's just been saying hasn't he what's the point of me doing everything that I do if there's no resurrection if I've got nothing waiting for me when this life is over and Paul's saying because of this because of this certainty of the imperishable putting uh, you know of our perishable bodies becoming imperishable and our our weak failing bodies where we breathe our last frail breath or something catastrophic happens to us and we die in an instant, um, that that moment of weakness and frailty which death absolutely characterises, uh, that comes to every single human being, he says this moment now is not the end, it's the beginning of a great and glorious eternal destiny for you and me. And he said because of that, then be strong, be steadfast, immovable, hang in there, go in hard, you know, <laughs> let's, let's win this battle, let's fight this fight that we deal with. The battle is won, but we have to still, we're part of this process of bringing everything into subjection under Jesus' feet. We're part of that spiritual conquest of the earth that Jesus is engaged in right now. So he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, like always doing it generously. Don't do it with a tight, meagre mindset, but do it with all your heart and soul. May God bless you indeed as you reflect on these things and may God continue to give us insight and understanding about it all. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Take care.